Hello, my friends. I'm curious to know how many of you have a leadership pipeline. We know that great leaders grow companies because we talk to them here on the show every day. But what are you doing to create great leaders within yours? If you're a CTO, it is 100% your responsibility to grow and improve your people beyond just their coding abilities. We've built a tool that improves your people in their craft and in leadership. Visit leaderbits.io to learn more. Today we are talking to Peter, the CTO of Emerson Automation Solutions, and we discuss the connection between information technology and operational technology, the future of automation, and why software developers are not ditch diggers. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I love the fact that you're like the CTO of automation. Yes. Well, that's because we have a couple of different, we have two actually platforms in Emerson. One of them's called commercial residential. The other one's called automation. And I'm the guy that works the, the automation platform. It's a, it's a big business. It's about a, this year will be over $11 billion just focused on automation. And, you know, we automation guys actually, uh, have been looking at all this IOT and, and digital transformation. And we're like, what's the big deal? This is what we've been doing for 30, 40 <laughs> years. You know, it's like, Oh, the rest of the world's actually figured out, you know, how to do this. And so, yeah, for, for us in automation, all, a lot of these conversations that are going on, I remember when they first started, I even wrote an article about like, Hey, we've been doing this for 25 years, you know, but uh, you know, for many industries, that just didn't have data before, right? I mean, you didn't have city data about your parking lots and your traffic lights and your street lamps and, you know, who was where. You didn't have data about what you were selling to who in a retail store. You didn't have data about what was going on inside of your buildings and, you know, who was in the building and who wasn't. Okay, for these guys, I, I understand how it's kind of a brave new fun world, okay? The world we operate in, which is the world of uh, industrial manufacturing and specifically industrial processes like food and beverage and pharmaceutical and refinery and oil and gas and power, we've had to have sensors and data for, for 30, 40 years just to run the facility. Right. So it's not, you know, for us, we're like, yeah, you put in sensors, the sensors field software. You use analytics and algorithms and first principle models if you have them, and then you oh. take action to improve things. That's what we've been doing. Okay, so <laughs> we were like, oh, okay, everybody else can now do this as well because now they have data, right? A lot of these industries just didn't have any, any you know, real-time or relevant-time data to, to work off of. I love it. I love it especially when I'll have a conversation. We've automated the way we schedule meetings, right? With like this right. meeting system. And they're like, that's unbelievable. And I'm like, no, 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 it's unbelievable. Have you ever seen a car manufacturing facility? Yeah. That is unbelievable. That's <laughs> automation, right? That's yes. real automation, right? Exactly. When we start talking about tolerance levels, now we're talking automation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead. No, so I, I actually read your Forbes article. I'm a member of the Forbes Tech, Technology Council as well. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm new there, so I didn't really... So you're my first actual other member to meet from that perspective. So I've, I've not done any of the networking stuff or anything around that yet. Me either. I, <laughs> I, think, it's been, I think I've been there like four months. I've written an article. It was, it was pretty cool. 
Uh, it seems that there's a lot of people there, though, right? There are. There are. And actually, there's a lot of people from a lot of startups. So I think there's a lot of people that are looking at as a way to, you know, get their word out on what they're doing and what their startup's trying to do and all that kind of stuff. I don't get bothered much from it, though. Like LinkedIn, no, I get bothered all the time. But like, I, not- haven't, I haven't yet either. I was actually worried that I would be, uh, but that's not really happened yet. So I think it's a good deal from that perspective. Yeah. When you, what stood out to me about your article is you introduced an, a new term that I hadn't heard before, OT. Right. IT, OT. You want to talk yeah. a little bit about what was in your article? Sure. So uh, that was actually, uh, I, hopefully I can remember, it was about three years ago, as I said, when, when the world was just, when really the, let's say the, the whole discussion and, and marketing and big data analytics, all those good things were becoming uh, hot topics. Um, and as I said, I was kind of a little bemused, like reading all this going like, well, yeah, that, that's what we do. But what the term that OT, which stood for operational technology, uh, the reason I introduced that is a lot of the technology discussions that are going on now on uh, IoT digital transformation are being led by IT technology groups and by IT companies, right? Or companies that want to be viewed as IT companies. Those of us that had been kind of doing this for a long time, if you look at the companies that already have uh, robust systems in place, like the car manufacturing that you mentioned, like a chemical plant, like a power plant, where they have a lot of sensors already, they're already using that data to automate what they're doing. There's entirely separate groups of people that are running those systems, that are put in that sensors and collect that data and run the software and applications on, frankly, physically separate, well, I should say, uh, not physically, but uh, segmented from a security point of view, network and computing infrastructure uh, that is not tied in, you know, integrated solidly with the IT stuff because it's critical infrastructure to run the plant. Uh, The analogy I always use is, you know, if you're on an airplane, right, I, I bet you never thought about this, but you probably hope that the systems that are controlling the jet engines and the aircraft controls are separate from the one that's feeding you the movie that you know happens to kick out all the time and, and, the, and the flight attendant goes, oh, we'll just reboot it. No big deal, right? Rebooting the system that's actually running the engines in the flight management system while you're in flight, that would be a little bigger, you know, bigger deal than you know, restarting the entertainment system, okay? So in these facilities, the, the systems that have been doing this critical, uh, that have been running the operation are typically been segmented systems run by an entirely separate group of people that we've called OT. That term has risen as we tried to come up with a term to distinguish them from the, the traditional IT organizations. And that seemed to really fit because they were what they're doing is operations, right? They're not about, and, and by operations, I mean manufacturing operations, not, you know, they're running the ERP systems or looking at necessarily at inventory or orders receivable, all this kind of stuff. It's all about you know, how do we keep the plant operating? Again, same way that you have dedicated systems on that plane that are making sure that the engines are running correctly and the, and the flight management system is making sure you're going the right direction, okay? So that's what we mean by OT. I love it. it in my head, I totally see it, and I, I like the, the rise of the term. And so you've been, you've been at Emerson since 2007? Correct. So was this a was this a term then? No, 
Uh, and, and before Emerson, uh, actually I was at another automation company for over 20 years. So I, I've been a career automation guy. That term really got invented from my perspective when we needed a term to describe these people that worked on these systems that were not IT systems, but were computer systems, right? And, and they shared a lot of the same technology as IT systems. I mean, a lot of the same open systems technology, Wintel platform, networking was, was the same, but the, uh, the people didn't have a, a name because we just, we just thought of ourselves as the, the guys that run the automation or the guys that keep the plant running. So then all of a sudden there was a need for a term to describe what are all these systems, these people. And that's when OT came about, I'd say three, four, five years ago, probably the first time I heard it. Your, your video dropped out in that last response. Oh, I'm sure I'm not, I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, start video. Okay, there we go. Hey, you're back. <laughs> See, now again, this is IT technology. It can be imperfect. Yes. If, if uh, the video drops out, hey, no big deal. Start the video again. If the, you know, if the sound drops out, oops, okay, let's relink, okay. We were running a power plant. Oops, oh, we just caused a blockout in New York City. That's all right. <laughs> Nobody will mind. It'll be, you know, <laughs> they'll get over it, you know. So sh share with me here. I'm, I'm genuinely interested, right? I've been the, the, an, an engineer, software engineer, a little bit of embedded systems early on, but mostly software. And what sort of differences are there in developing technologies that need that high level of resilience, I guess, uh, versus like, what do you notice? You've obviously seen some software companies come and go. I'm sure even Emerson's yeah. probably acquired some or worked with some on a, on a close level. So you've seen the practices that occur there. You've seen the practices that occur in these, high, I'll call them high availability environments, right? What, what's the difference? Does anything stand out to you? Sure. And by the way, high availability is a great term. I mean, that is the term <laughs> I would use. Or, oh, that's nice. What we're talking about. I mean, yes. yes, high availability is the key. So if you've actually done embedded software development, you're probably closer to it than, than most software folks because, you know, not, I don't think a high percentage have done that um, because uh, really what's different is at the core of what keeps us going, just like the engine management computer in your car or the flight management system in the plane as I described, these are purpose-built embedded systems, okay? They're not using, you know, Windows or even full versions of Linux or something. They're using small microkernel operating systems, shrunk down versions of, of Linux, for instance, they're frequently used. Uh, they're frequently redundant. The hardware is purpose-built and is built to be redundant right from the beginning. Uh, so the, the actual thing that's doing the core control is, is specialized and, and purpose-built. Now, we surround that with a lot of more traditional off-the-shelf IT technology, Wintel, browser-based displays, all this stuff to convey the information that's coming uh, from those systems. But the, the actual stuff that's doing the core control is, is typically very purpose-built. And in our space, a lot of it is built to be redundant from the beginning because the poor high availability for that exact term that you use, because the consequence of failure is, is very high. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, power plant goes down. Hey, there's a blackout. Uh, refinery goes down. Uh, it can take them days to get that process lined out and, and operating correctly again. 
in some more discrete manufacturing like automotive that you already mentioned, that's not as bad because a lot of times if their facilities go down, if their production goes down, they fix whatever it is and they can start right up again and they lose, you know, 10, 15 minutes of production. But many of these other ones we deal with, uh, it, it takes a long time to get them running correctly again. So not ever going down is a big goal. A lot of the IOT stuff though, a lot of the digital transformation stuff we're talking about is not in that critical space, right? That critical space is going to continue to be a critical space like that. But there are so many other areas in the plant. Reliab you know, reliability is a huge one. By that I mean the maintenance and dependability of the equipment. How do you make sure that the physical machines are operating correctly, that they're not fouled? Uh, safety, collecting information on safety and like looking for hazardous gases or unsafe situations. Uh, environmental, collecting data on what are you doing for environmental impact. There's a lot of other areas that are not as critical as the core operation of the plant where there's tremendous opportunity for additional sensor data, additional software applications, additional analytics, as well as analytics and applications that run on top of the core control and optimize it, you know, and figure out, you know, okay, I'll use a building analogy because people can get that because people will get that. I have a thermostat in every room that can keep the temperature exactly what it should be. Okay, but what should the temperature be in that room? Right. There's a higher level application that's looking at well, what meetings are scheduled today. You know, is that room not going to get used for two days? You know, so it's telling the core control stuff what to do. Sorry, that was a long answer, but uh, no, my mind was thinking about the differences in energy to keep the room cool versus the distance between the next use. So I'm like getting all nerdy over here in my head. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. When does it sh like if, if it knows that there's going to be a meeting? Does it know, is it smart enough to calculate the cost to either continue to air condition it or to drop it off and then start it back up based on the distance between when it will be occupied? You could be an advanced control and optimization engineer. <laughs> that is exactly the kind of stuff we do, right? So we, you know, if you're running a power plant, sometimes they maybe they run on multiple fuels. So there's a continuous calculation about, uh, you know, when should we switch to fuel A instead of fuel B? based on the cost, but also based on, you know, how efficient is a plant run on one versus the other? What's the expected load? If you look at a refinery, you got a crude oil coming in and you, a big deal is, you know, no necessarily two crudes are the same. If you're somebody who buys on the smart market, what's the most profitable slate of products that we could be making, you know, from this batch of crude based on what the prices are of jet fuel versus gasoline versus lube oil. Uh, you know, that, that's the higher level kind of advanced production control that happens. We've been doing that stuff for a long time too. Again, that's another area where when people talk about these, we're like, well, yeah, we've had, we, we write models of how these plants run and then we run optimization algorithms to figure out what they ought to be. But it's been very focused around production. Okay. Not so much, as I said, collecting data and figuring out When's the optimum time to go, uh, you know, clean out this heat exchanger that might be fouling, okay? Uh, how long is this pump going to run, you know, before it's likely to have a failure if we don't do maintenance on it? Uh, this control valve, do I need to, you know, next time I have a shutdown, take it out and replace parts in it or is it going to fail? Those are all new areas that we're applying sensor technology, software, analytics 
all the all the more let's say traditional IoT big data analytics kind of stuff that you hear talked about. So I gotta ask from a from a high level from your position, how, how do you spend your day? Like, if it were a pie chart, what would the three biggest slices be? Well, um, I spend my day actually, or a lot of it, uh, working across the different product lines we have because Emerson Automation Solutions has measurement. We have software applications. We have connected services where we actually offer turnkey services to customers where we look at their process and, and data and equipment data for them. And those are all individual business units, product lines and Emerson. So I spend a lot of time, I'll, I'll use the term cat herding, okay, trying to coordinate, <laughs> uh, you know, making sure that, that we're, we're working together in a synchronized, coordinated manner, you know, in, inside of all these business units. I spend a lot of time talking to customers. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out there, uh, you know, frequently introducing this topic and talking about what we're doing in, in various customer seminars and in different customer events that we have. We have a big customer event coming up in, in two weeks and I'll be, uh, I'll be doing a lot of customer. By the end of that week, I can't talk anymore. My voice. No more customers. <laughs> oh, no, no more voice. No more I'm, voice. I'm full. No more voice, <laughs> you know, cause, uh, cause of that. Um, so that, that's another thing I spend a lot of time on. Uh, I spend a lot of time looking at our R&D planning, obviously, right? You know, where should we be spending our money? Uh, you know, you know, the number one thing is CTO for Automation Solutions that I'm probably expected to do is chart our product and solutions future. You know, where, you know, where, what should Emerson Automation Solutions, what solutions that we're bringing to the market, what should they look like, you know, in a year, two years, five years, where the market going? What's technology trends? How do I line up our product and solution portfolio against the customer needs and the, and the market technology trends? And also to make sure we don't, as I call it, get whacked over the head, you know, <laughs> the by, lack of a, strategy. Yeah. <laughs> by a disruption, right? By a lack, right? That we're not, you know, the next blockbuster or, you know, that's the next one. bookstore or the next whatever, you know, because that's, you know, there's many examples that we all know of companies that have been disrupted by the technology stuff that's going on. And, and, and if we are, I will feel very personally responsible. So my goal is to, uh, another goal I have, another thing I do is I'm, I'm constantly trying to make sure that we're, you know, that we're on the right track and not, you know, something's not going to come out from left field. Now, of course, by definition, something could still come from left field. But if you do your homework and your research, you can actually see a lot of that, that stuff coming. Yeah, I learned a, I've learned a lot about that. It's less about fear and then more about just making sure you're in the mix. Yeah. This industry is also very slow moving and conservative. You can imagine that the people who are putting in these, on, on the OT side, I should say, on the operational technology side, people put in systems again, that they expect to stay and last for a long time. Again, you don't, the guy running that airplane is not looking for, you know, to download a new upgrade to his engine management system, you know, every time he goes to a new airport. Hey, we're going to push you a new upgrade. <laughs> you, you know, you use an app on your phone. It's like, oh, here's a new upgrade for you, right? No, no, that's all much more controlled. The life cycle has to be a lot longer because of the criticality of what it's doing. But then these applications that we surround that data with and some of these new applications, those are, you know, can be the same as what you would see in normal IT or, or even mobile technology in terms of 
you know, constantly being upgraded. We can constantly try new stuff because they're not, they're not going to interrupt the actual production of the facility that we're working on, right? They're, they're there to help optimize, right? Not necessarily the critical safety and control. You know what I'd like to see it just popped into my head. I'm a big fan of, of thoughts just happening. Um, I'd like to see, you know, when we're talking about high availability, I was speaking with, um, his name is Mike. He puts um, uh, satellites into space, they build satellites with NASA. They literally put them up. They put them, they grapple the satellite mid or mid earth orbit, refuel it, fly, uh, supplies to the space station, then come back and, I was talking about how they engineer that, right? They, they make the models, they do the computer models, they make scaled versions because you get one shot at this. You get one, <laughs> there's yeah. one shot at launching the rocket and carrying out the mission. And as you're talking about, um, slowly this gap is appearing in my mind of, I lack the knowledge of what's happening when I'm going to deploy an update that manages thrusters or an engine on a jet and I'm going to deploy that update. Versus deploying something I could just roll back in the cloud real quick if, if my you know, leadership customers aren't happy, <laughs> right? Or if I get a roll bar error. Like, and so I was curious um, to see or, or just to know or maybe just to put the thought out there is I'd like to see some of these engineers of these high availability, very life intensive um, manufacturing or code production or software hardware connections talk more publicly. They just haven't come in my view and I'm pretty out there. Like I... I yeah. watch the different stuff. I don't see them talking much about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the, to my opinion, it's not the sexy is part, right? So this, the sexy part of technology tends to get the more coverage, the more press, right? So, you know, big data analytics in the cloud and we're going to be able to predict what's going on or, or, uh, you know, connected services in the remote monitoring part. That, that, that's more the sexy part. Um, but you're exactly correct. Something like satellite control is a great analogy, right? Once that satellite's out there too, very hard to schedule a service call. Okay. It's kind of hard, you know, <laughs> kind of yeah. hard to, to, you know, to have somebody go, you know, go out there. We have a lot of the same things. We have customers operating in, you know, very remote areas of the world, subsea. I mean, we all saw what happened on very unfortunately with BP a few years ago. Yeah went awry sub C, right? It's not like, okay, well, we'll just send a guy out there to fix it. Okay. It was, it was, you know, that stuff, that's why that stuff's got to work, right? It's really got to work very, very critically. One area where that, that is a lot of sexy, but maybe isn't as, as, as sung right now is what you already mentioned, autonomous vehicles. So think about an autonomous vehicle. Do you think all the controls for that autonomous vehicle are running in the cloud? Do you want your autonomous vehicle being controlled yeah. from the cloud? Uh, I wouldn't. No. I can tell you as an automation guy knowing that. I mean, I want the software and the core control stuff that's actually deciding which way to steer, when to brake, when to put on the gas, all that stuff. I want that on the vehicle. Okay. Now, I want the cloud collecting all that data. I want the cloud analyzing that. I want the cloud maybe once in a while downloading a new and improved steering algorithm. Okay. Yeah that runs on the vehicle. I want it doing that while the vehicle's parked, not while it's running. Okay, I don't want it doing it while I'm <laughs> in the middle of my, uh, my thing, right? So that's actually an area, and, and we've actually seen ourselves competing a little bit with those guys because the skill sets that we bring in, in the OT world of controlling these industrial facilities 
is very similar to what these guys are having to do with the, with the real-time control and the embedded controls that they're doing for autonomous vehicles. And, and, and that analogy holds to the next part, like I said. All those vehicles are being analyzed every, every second from cloud-based software, right? But the core operational stuff is, is going to be on the vehicle. So I'm going to do some research because I, I, I think I could form the, the question better is when I see them deploying updates, like you said, to an airplane engine or right, an onboard computer, they're going to deploy that update. I want to see the process the team goes through to ensure the success because I'm curious to how far that process differs from all the process I know that happens in a software company. That's what I'm really curious. Yeah, I think to me, the... It differs probably in two ways. Number one, obviously, the QA process at and the metrics associated with that at a company like ours before we send something out to customers and say, yeah, it's okay, go ahead, load this, you know, on your critical control part are extremely robust, okay, you know, and, and, and pretty high metrics. Number two, the customers themselves frequently, I mean, they will wait for they don't just do it. They wait for when uh, they're shut down. And or they really what they do a lot of times is they'll take it on onto a lab system that they have and they'll run it for a while till they're happy. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Now, actually, that's one of the new services we're offering is as a, a software as a service is a, you know, a, a digital twin, a copy of this control of that critical automation software that runs in the cloud for them to test things on or for them to put in, you know, because if that fails, it doesn't matter. It's not actually physically connected to anything, but that's something where they can actually have an environment to test things out before they actually grab it up and transfer it down into the actual on-premise operating solution. So, you know, that will be a virtualized version of the same software running in the cloud of the same software that they're actually running on-premise. Now, do companies come to you and they have a, product that they want to manufacture and, and you'll plan out the whole facility around it? Do you do like f full service like that? Oh yeah. No, as, 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 yes. So typically most of the products that they want to manufacture are, are more, co are more commodity items that they know how to do before. Like I, you know, someone's already mentioned like, uh, you know, um, gasoline or power or, you know, whatever it may be. One of the exceptions would be uh, pharmaceuticals and the life science industry, which we, which is a big industry that we serve, because they're constantly reinventing new drugs, right? They're constantly, that's their whole business model is to, or part of their business model is to find the next great drug, right? That, you know, cures diabetes or, you know, heart disease or whatever it may be. Many of those are now biologics, okay? The process control of that can be very complex so we might get involved with them way up front on what the control strategies need to be. And actually that industry is now trying to move very heavily from manufacturing drugs in what's called a batch process, you know, which is pretty self-explanatory, right? We yeah. <laughs> together in a, you know, in a reactor and, and you make a batch of it and then you, know, you process it, you know, from there to, to more of a continuous process, which is much more efficient and much higher output, like the way a power plant runs, okay? That has actually presented all kinds of control challenges. And we're working very specifically with the research departments of a couple of the big uh, pharmaceutical guys on how we actually, on a very specific control technology to control continuous processes in the, in the life sciences industry. 
So is that similar to more of like a just in time you're making it as you need it? It's more about how do you have the control technology that can actually control the process accurately enough to the point that you can ensure the quality of what's coming out, you know, uh, uh, repeatedly to the point that the FDA is satisfied that what you made is really what you say it's going to make. Cause you, you can imagine, and as a consumer, I'm sure you, you should be happy that, <laughs> you know, there, there's very strict, you know, processes and guidelines around making sure that what you say that pill is, is really what that pill is. Okay. The traditional method for that has been, you know, to just make sure you do the exact same thing over and over again, right? I, you know, we've all experienced that sometimes, I think, in our personal lives when, like, we're trying to make cookies like grandma used to make, right? Or spaghetti sauce, in my case, like my, my cousin from Italy makes, where we, you know, we just try to pay attention and follow the exact process, right, with the exact same ingredients. That's been the typical way that it's been done in, in pharmaceuticals. They move to continuous actually monitoring the process continuously, having the right process controls, making sure you, you know, having that so that it's controlled tightly enough that you can say, yes, this is the product that's coming out and it's safe for someone to take and it really is going to do what it's supposed to do is a challenge. It is. I'm curious to know how many people you have like on your team, like in your organization, on your side of it. Right. So the technology organization here, it's, it's funny you should ask because I'm in the middle right now of just doing uh, an inventory, an org review. Uh, and I don't know, and actually I should know this because I, I haven't looked at some of the preliminary results. It's, you know, it's a mixture of hardware, software, firmware, you know, embedded on the software side, it's embedded, it's human interface, it's all over the board. If I were to guess I'm thinking it's it's going to be around somewhere from five to eight thousand probably inside of, of automation solutions, and it's 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 all over the globe, right? So we do development in in a lot in the United States, a lot in uh, some you know more best cost locations, India, uh, the Philippines. We do uh, development literally everywhere. And what was the average size when you joined? Size of the individual development team or the overall yeah, like, R&D organization? Just to give an example of growth, like if it's about. Yeah. We, we grow pretty much in lockstep with our, with our revenue growth. I mean, as a, you know, so I'd say our, you know, our R&D in the 11 years I've been here is probably growing at an average rate of 4% a year or so has been probably what our, our R&D spend has been uh, on the product side in terms of just growth. Yeah, and the reason why I'm going there is not not for financial stuff. Right. Um, it's leadership stuff, right? So I'm curious to you came in and and how your how it's changed for you as far as managing structures of teams and things of that nature from when you came in to where you are today. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, one of the probably the most uh, biggest things that we confront, and you kind of alluded to it already, is hey, how come I never hear from or talk to guys that are building this, you know, satellite control systems and this kind of critical infrastructure stuff, right? And you're right. We're not, you know, as I called it, sexy, right? We're not necessarily out there or, you know, we're not the career necessarily that people hear about or dream about when they're a computer science major in, in college or an engineering major in college. So we've had to do a lot to get out there and recruit and, and get people excited about coming into the space that we're in um, because we're not Google or, or, you know, or Amazon or, 
or one of these guys that maybe is 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 getting more of the you know the sex appeal right now in terms of what they're working on I, I somewhat disagree. I think it's incredibly cool what you guys are doing. <laughs> well, once you find out about it, right? I was yeah. just about to say, once they find out that like, hey, you mean you guys make stuff that actually controls the physical world? I mean, what you do, you know, actually, if it's like, yeah, don't you want to, you know, it's not just, you know, ethereal. What we do affects the, the physical world, right? So we've, we've had to do a lot, especially as obviously more and more of the people recruiting are software people. More and more of the people recruiting are skill sets that overlap with the generic IT world, you know, whether it's, you know, web skills like HTML5 or, or uh, cloud technologies and, you know, somebody who's really good at, you know, developing in, you know, Azure uh, services, right, and, and, and platform as a service kind of offerings that we're developing, right? Now we're having to compete more and more with the traditional IT guys than we did before when a lot of our stuff was more embedded and, and, and it was a more specialized kind of world. So we have to, uh, we're going to hire you as an advocate here. We have to <laughs> word out to all these people that like, Hey, what we do is actually very cool. Okay. One group that's figured that out, I would say, unfortunately, which is a big part of what we do is the black hat community, right? So, you know, you can't pick up, Wall Street Journal or your, you know, any kind of mainstream press thing yeah. without reading about cybersecurity attacks on critical infrastructure, right? The Russians were, you know, attacking the Ukrainians, the Stuxnet way back when, the, you know, the, the virus that, you know, wiped, that hit a couple of U.S. manufacturing facilities. The, the Merck one was very uh, well publicized a while ago. So that is one area, unfortunately, where we are more in the in the in the public eye right now because the systems and the technology we make is controls that critical infrastructure. Okay, and we've had to really—that's one area that's changed—is we've had to tremendously increase our our spend. That's probably been increasing at like fifty percent a year by leaps and bounds. The spend that we well, I went to, to RSA. Cyber. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah. Did you go to RSA? Have you been there? No, I have guys that we have cybersecurity folks that that go and they go to. Some of the some of the you know hacker events as well, right? So uh, you know it's very those are the most interesting trip reports to read. I always make sure I read those as the guys oh, that yeah. come back from DefCon and some of the other uh, hacker events. So I got, I got to hang out with like the CTO of the FBI. <laughs> it's <was> pretty cool. <laughs> he yeah, he, right. Did he say I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you? Did he say that a lot? Or uh... <laughs> no, they're actually really cool. Apparently, it's like a I think of like a franchise. There's all these local. Um, divisions of it and then they there's just the main in Washington that connects them all but they all operate pretty locally and independent yeah which is interesting so I mean we we've had to up our game on how we attract people we've had to increase our spending in cybersecurity like everybody we're spending a lot on finding the magic bullet from a development organization point of view right so we've done a lot of move into agile and scrum and you know we're constantly looking for you know, the, the magic structure to, to build our development organization. Some of that's tougher because, as I said, these systems we build are, are pretty complex and they are, you know, installed and maintained for a long time. So we don't have the, the luxury of, you know, of like popping out an app here and there and saying, oh, that one didn't work. Okay, let's just go write another one, right? That's, that's not the space we're in. You know, we're, we're building systems that, you know, have to operate for, for 20 years. 
you know, as a minimum, or customers are expecting that kind of life cycle out of them. So, so, from a, so those are some changes I've seen from a development point of view. So from you as a leader, right, of, of several thousand people, what, is, what does it look like? Like you've got, I understand the, the general concept of how people structure it, but I guess what I'm looking for is the real question for me I'm most curious about is what is your leadership style? I would, okay, that, I should ask my staff that sometimes. <laughs> we'll do a poll. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> look, I, look I, am a, I am a big believer, I guess, of saying of, of leading by example, right? Yes. You know, exhibit the behaviors that you want people to emulate, whether that's, you know, dedication, you know, hard work. I try very hard to not be a jerk. Okay. You know, <laughs> I love, I love the way you delivered that. Yes. Right. Thank you. You know, I try very hard to, to not come across as, you know, egotistical or, you know, uh, my way is the only way I'm, you know, I'm the guy that knows the right way. None of you other guys do. I really try hard to, you know, drive and I, and I know it sounds, you know, trite, but it's true collaboration from this point of view of, of like, Hey, this is what I think. This is the direction I think, you know, what do you guys think? Okay. You know, and, and, and bring that in. But when it's time to make a decision, it's like, okay, somebody's going to make a call. That's why I have the C. Okay. In the yeah. title. So here's, <laughs> you know, here's the call we're going to make. And in fact, you know, working across all the number of different teams that I have to work across from our different product lines, it's the only way I could work because, you know, for a lot of them, uh, you know, I'm just not there long enough or how, you know, to, 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 to draw, to, to manage or to lead by, by dictate because they could nod their heads and out the door and go like, Oh, he's gone. We won't see him for another four months. Right. You know, <laughs> work. Let's go do, uh, let's go do what we want to do. Okay. The way we want to do it, you know, that won't work. Right. So you, you, you got to get people bought in. Um, you know, they, you got to make them feel like they're a part of decisions. You got to make sure that you're, you're moving you know, so at some point. Yes. You do have to make, more hard decisions when there's difference of opinions, but you know, it very, it's really true uh, that you got to get everybody going. One of my favorite expressions in that area is when you, when you see somebody start trying to kind of dominate is look, you may be the smartest guy in in the room, but you're not smarter than the room. Okay. (laughs) You're not smarter than the accumulated knowledge and experiences of, of all the people that are, that are there in the room. Right. Ooh, I like that. I haven't heard, that's actually new for me. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Oh, I, I like forgot. I, yeah, I heard that like four or five years ago, and I was like, "Okay, that that one's going in the, that one's going in the bank. That that's a good one, right?" I'll give you another one that I stole from one of the customers we work with all the time. That's one of my favorites, and that is, for every engineer, there's an equal and opposite engineer. Okay. <laughs> that <laughs> is a universal you, truth. Yes. Isn't that a universal? I mean, you yes. can take any problem, give it to three different engineers, and you're going to get three different solutions at the end of the day, right? And uh, that one I, I have absolutely stolen as a as a key as a key disciple as a key uh, key edict or, or axiom I guess is the right term. Yeah, that's uh, as true as first principles, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is absolutely so true, right? I actually have a, a recurring event in my phone that goes off every three weeks, and it just says review, think first principles, and I just because we just forget naturally as people. So every three, three or so weeks, I just sit down and I have a note in my phone where I listed out, you know, 
two paragraphs of my interpretation right of first principles and i just review them and i just keep reminding myself because it's so easy to get lost in the weeds yeah it is so what what stands out to you about like you're working with your team you come into contact with a lot of people what's a flag that goes off when you start identifying someone that's a high potential or they're exhibiting signs of being a leader and you say, Oh, I'm going to pay attention to this person. It looks like they're going to go far in life. That, you know, that is an excellent thing to bring up. And that is another thing I do is another, and another expression or another thing I try to live by is always, you're always on the hunt for talent. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you've got an opening or trying, you can't, you can't be on the hunt for talent just when you've got a spot to fill. Okay. So mm. as I go across our development teams across the world, okay, uh, you know, when I find somebody that I can tell is, and, and we use the term, you know, sparky, you know, you can just tell when, when, when you, sparky? when sparky, when you, when you find uh, somebody who's got that spark of, of right, you can tell they've got like the natural curiosity about what they're working on. They're doing it because they believe in it and they care about it. You can tell they're dedicated by the way they're talking about it. They're not doing it just to like, you know, fluff themselves up and, oh, here's a guy from management. I got to make myself, you know, look good. When you, when you find those guys, I always like make a note like, okay, this guy, you know, should be somebody to, you know, to, to, to follow up on. And they could be, you know, anywhere in the world, the, the guy that's and technology for our, our, our systems business right now was a guy I first met when I was down in Brazil. We were doing a customer event in Brazil and I was a keynote speaker and he'd worked at a competitor and he came in there and I, you know, was working with him on this thing. And I just like, okay, this is another, this is a guy to put in the book. And, you know, we reached out and grabbed him and now he's running a large technology organization here for us. So he, that's another axiom I would say that, you know, people in leadership positions always be is you're always recruiting. You're always on the outlook for, you know, for that talent um, because it, at the end of the day, it really is the most precious commodity still. It really is the, the toughest yes. thing they have. Money, you can get more money. True. You can, you can get more money. You can't, it's hard to get more people. It's way, I was reading just uh, this weekend um, and they were saying that 61%, and I don't know who they are, but the article I read saying 61% of the CTOs believe that like their greatest bottleneck is not cash or capital. It's, it's people. It's software. Yes. Software people or engineers as a whole. And, and so another, I'm okay. My, my staff, I'm full of these little axioms and, and you're a great leader. That's how come you should be. I, I would, I would be scared if you weren't. Okay. Well, and, and, uh, analogies, right? So I, my nickname sometimes is like the analogy King. Okay. Cause I'm, I look. so here's another one that I will give you in that exact vein, which is uh, there's a temptation also to think about software people. They always say it is software. People are not ditch diggers. Okay. It, you know, you can look at another discipline or work discipline or where, you know, you go like, Hey, you know, I got an average ditch digger. He digs a meter a ditch a day. My best guy digs two meters. I always say my worst guy does nothing. He's, you know, leaning on the shovel. Okay. With software people, if your average guy is a meter, your best guy's 10 meters and your worst guy is throwing dirt back into the ditch. Okay. <laughs> for the, for the, you know, oh, for the, oh my God. That's right. so good. 
right? For the, for the, for the good guys to clean up, right? So there's such a wide spectrum, such a wide dynamic range in, in, in talent when you start talking about software as well, that it, it is really critical, you know, to get a hold of, of those folks, right? That, that really can make a difference because, uh, okay, we call it engineering. Okay. But there's still such a, there's still a large degree of, of art, of natural aptitude, whatever you want to call it. You just, you just know there, you know, there are the code monsters and there's the guys that are not right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something I think that, you know, people have as a, as an innate aptitude or they're not right. Just like I will, I will never be an artist. I, I suck <laughs> at art. Okay. Fortunately, I think I'm pretty good at engineering. So, Hey, you know, that's, you know, it's, it is really, key to get those people because the dynamic range the, is so large, okay? Now, you can't have a team that's built around, you know, two guys, right? And everybody else is standing around watching them deliver, right? But you, you, you need to recognize those, those high performers and make sure you hang on to them because they can make a, a huge difference. Now, I would like to share with you, since you've brought in so much amazing value, there, do you know the company Asana? No, I do not. Okay, so they're fairly um, fast-growing, uh, task management, SaaS-type business out in San okay. Francisco. Uh, they're real popular for project management for um, like marketing business teams, things like that. And I had Prashant on the show, and he was discussing, very similar to you, about how they're always on the hunt for talent. And they've done something that has worked very well for them, and what they do is they have this hashtag around, you know, in their company called ABR, always be recruiting. And they get, they've gotten talent from Uber rides from every which way, because they're in San Francisco where you can work for, you know, a stone's throw, you can work for Google, Apple, artificial intelligence. So to get people recruited to work on, you know, really cool task management, and they've got a great culture too. But to get them for that, they have to Every person in the organization is responsible, whether you're at a meetup talking about your technology and the way that they keep it in front of everybody is this hashtag ABR. I think you guys should have a hashtag called Sparky. Yeah, there you go. That's a good, you're right. That's a good idea. And, and even that term I stole from another guy here that I work with. That's the other thing is you can't be afraid to, can't be afraid to proudly steal, right? Other, you right. know, as long as you give, always give, you know, uh, justice to whoever you stole it from, right? You know, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot to be learned from other organizations, other things that are doing that technology or approaches, things that they've used that, that work for you. So that could be another hashtag is, you know, where, where did this idea came from? Hey, we saw it from our, you know, our retail monitoring guys did this. So we're going to proudly steal it. Right. And, and put it in, uh, put it in automation. But hashtag Sparky's good. No, but you're exactly right. I mean, if anything, um, humans, we are, influenced by our environment we can't escape our environment and everything we do is a byproduct of the collection of the information we've absorbed through some shape or fashion right so everything is is just sharing and we're all doing that as a group of collective people in order to build a better brighter future for tomorrow so yeah in reality we're all just contributing to to the future and that's pretty awesome yes it is and very promising future as long as you know machines don't really take over <laughs> <laughs> you know, dun, dun, dun. Uh, no, uh, you know, hey, as somebody in the automation space, right? Uh, I think about it once in a while. I don't, you know, at my age, oh, I'm not I as worried about it. about it, but 
but uh, I do think it, you know, we do need to be careful, right? And and because so many science fiction things have come true, right? Oh well, it's Gene almost the rule. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was so right in so many respects, right? On on many of the things that he envisioned. Although the transporter we're still working on, as well as warp drive, but you know, there's, uh, you know, there's there's a possibility there i mean as as you look at what we're doing and as we connect everything and it, you know i have a little presentation going with customers i'm like how many if you've heard this story before we're going to put artificial intelligence in all of the machines and equipment so they know how to operate we're going to connect them all together in a cloud network that ties them all together into a, i mean it's like it's we're, oh, yeah. we're living the script of you know of, of some sci-fi movies right now so if you were in um living in the 80s right uh, if you were to look at the, the, the landscape, the market, you've got the companies building semiconductors, you've got the companies building all the entire companies built around these single pieces of these computers that are the size of a room, right? And they're all contributing and all the soft and all of these companies are contributing to this one thing. Little would they know would they all consolidate down and just be a computer company, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. And so that's how I see the market today for AI. Everybody's building these vision systems. Everybody's, they're just, it, there's no doubt in my, either the world's going to end or we're going to reach it shortly. Um, but that's what we are completely 100% on a clearly defined path to building that uh, complete and total AI. The, now you, some people look at it with positive. Some people look at it with a negative. Like for example, I was thinking this weekend when I was driving about how it'd be really cool to build some AI that could understand all the components of water desalinization to help us build a more efficient factories and plants, right? Because for some reason, carbon fiber, nano t- carbon fiber nanotubes and water desalinization, I just have an interest in and I keep checking up periodically on their progress, how well they're doing. You know, I'm waiting for them to become commercially, uh, well, the, the nanotubes commercially viable. Yep. Because it's just so, such a better way to transmit energy, right? So uh, totally outside the scope of the CTO stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just a no, little no. nerdy. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I keep paying attention to these things, but we are definitely on the path. And it's just, I hope that, the, that we get it working for good first. I think more than hope. I think we better. <laughs> I think, thank you, Elon good. Musk, right? Right, right. I think we better get it working for good first. Now, you know, can we get to where, you know, individual things are highly automated in terms of how they operate? Absolutely. That's what we do here. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we, we definitely see that. Um, now the interconnection of all these operations and how AI is going to work across that and see that, that, that's still got a, a long ways to go. So, yeah, okay. So again, here's another old automation, you know, joke or axiom, if you will. Right. And, you know, ever since I, I started over 30 years ago, we used to always tell the old story that the the production plan of the future has, you know, two living organisms at it, a man and a dog. Okay. And uh, the dog's job was to keep the man from touching anything. And the man's job was to feed the dog. Okay. That was, that was the old joke that used to be, you know, around the lights out plant, right. That everybody would say, I think now as, as we are, you know, adding, you know, that whole next generation of, of digitization and automation, looking at other aspects, as I said before, energy usage, equipment, health and reliability, all those things. I think we're also making intelligent trade-offs about, well, where are the things to invest in sensors and software versus where are the things that are still 
just too complicated yet for the software where humans really are better and looking at actually how do we digitally equip humans right to do the to do the job better you know even if we can't entirely automate it so you know a great analogy there would be you know as a driver of a car today you are you're digitally equipped you have traffic information you have all this information from your car telling you on its health and how it is you have you know uh, analytics telling you the best route to take you know weather information right so you're still driving the car but now you have a much more digitally equipped work process that allows you to make intelligent decisions on the best way to get from point A to B, okay? So a lot of the work that we do isn't necessarily going to that, that vision today that everybody likes to jump to the endpoint vision of where everything runs itself. There's a lot of just digitally equipping and optimizing work processes with data um, you know, that didn't exist before to enable people to make the right decisions uh, that will drive the, the more improved outcome uh, before we even get to, to automating everything. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the steps. Most customers I talk to, you know, yeah, they get that vision, but they're really working on that. How do we digitize the work process that we have today and make the people that we have on site uh, much more productive, right? Because they still have a lot of domain knowledge about how the manufacturing runs that, it's going to be tricky to get into analytics and AI systems. Yep. And you know, it's uh, a couple of thoughts real quick was it's interesting how the distribution's coming first, right? Like our ability to massively produce the technology, then the technology for when we actually have AI, it's going to be really fast to distribute AI. Like if we are going to, I was thinking about, you don't need to make an AI that knows how to do everything. You only need to make an AI that's smart enough to be a person. No, I mean, we, you know, everybody of course talks about the singularity, right? When you, you hit that point when the computer is as smart as we are, but uh, there's to me, and now we're going to get really, you know, tech philosophical, if you will. But to me, there's, there, there's something still be, because our brains are inherently still somewhat analog because everything in there still, you know, happens at a neurochemistry level, which inherently means they're not, you know, crispily ones and zeros the way, you know, digital computers operate. It's, it's that analog neurochemistry nature of them that enables us to make the inferences and the connections, you know, I think so much better than the, than the, than the core digital, you know, software systems that we write today. Now, the trick, of course, everybody's working on is to write, okay, well, we'll write the software that makes those connections, right? We'll, we'll, we'll you know, and that's what AI is all about, right? We're going to make the software that does that machine learning and that, and that deep learning and makes all that kind of connection. But that's like inherent in, in the way our brains work to me because of the fact that, you know, data really still, you know, data isn't stored in precise ones and zeros, Right. And that can be a detriment because you can remember something maybe a little different than it actually occurred. But it also, I think, is what enables us to make the, the connections, the, uh, you know, inferences that we're able to make, you know, so much more easily and better for now, at least, than digital computers can. And that's what keeps your amazing analogies going. Yeah, well, that's, how, that's how you, you don't, you just, Peter, what it really is, is you don't want the AI becoming more of an analogy king than you. Oh, 
<laughs> you know, I never thought of that, but you're absolutely correct there. That would really hurt. Long live really theater. Hurt. That would really hurt. I would, that would that would make me unhappy. Oh man, this has been a fantastic conversation. I don't think I've gone over an hour in a long time, Peter. This all is right, awesome. Well, we better not put it all on the air because nobody will want to listen that long. I guarantee you. Oh yeah, they will. Are you kidding me? Oh, for sure. We, I only had to sh- uh, sh- shorten them because I kept doing. I was doing so many. I was losing my voice. <laughs> oh, I understand yeah. that problem. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. I will. Right, uh, fun conversation. Yeah. Through Jake and, and Jackie and everybody, we'll let you know when it's going to air on the micro content clips and I'll add you on LinkedIn so you'll see when we post them and everything. Okay. Well, and I apologize if I don't get back to you rapidly on LinkedIn because that's like down on the task list is, uh, is dealing with the <laughs> social media stuff, I have to admit. So, <laughs> Apology accepted. No, just okay. <laughs> you have All a right. great day, Peter. All right. You too. Thanks. All right. Bye. See you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.